believer who's working towards freedom from codependency, emotional abuse, fear, and self-esteem issues. And my name is Tina. I'm here to share my story with you today, so let's start at the beginning. Once upon a time in a land near here, there was a little girl with a big imagination and big dreams. She dreamt of being a wife and a mother. Eventually, she would add professional dancer to those dreams, however, that never manifested. Since she longed to be a wife and a mother, obviously, she needed Prince Charming. At the tender age of six years old, she began her quest for him. While it would be another 19 years before she realized the goal of being a wife, she never went any amount of time without having in mind who Prince Charming might be. It never occurred to the little girl that her life now and every moment of now was a grand adventure all itself. Even though Prince Charming had not yet arrived, she seemed to think that she had to have Prince Charming in order to be a proper princess. Little did she know that this was the beginning of codependency and that it would be another 40 years before she had any inkling of it and several years more still before she started walking in any freedom from it. If, there was, if this were a fairy tale, there would probably be an evil witch or a horrible stepmother come into the story somewhere along the way. However, this little girl grew up in a healthy, loving family, knowing Jesus from a very young age, and going to church her whole life. There really weren't any evil or horrible people in her circle, except herself. You see, she had set a man, Prince Charming, as a higher priority in her heart than God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Luke 10, 27. She was loving, she was esteeming every boyfriend along the way higher than the Lord. She didn't realize it, and she had no idea the destruction that it would cause in her life with Prince Charming. So let's jump ahead to when Prince Charming arrives on the scene, or at least the man she hoped would be Prince Charming. He didn't come riding in on a white horse in shining armor, carrying a sword victorious in battle, as you may have supposed. He actually came riding in on a green Peterbilt truck in jeans, a t-shirt and ball cap, and wearing a mask. Now, before you get creeped out about this mask, the mask he was wearing is just like the one that many of you have been wearing for years. You know, the one that says, I'm fine. Everything's great. If I were any better, there'd be two of me. The problems actually began before the wedding. Boundaries crossed poor communication, truths withheld. As a codependent, enforcing boundaries was not my strong point. Rather, I would beat myself up for having done something wrong or for not having been good enough or for having put myself in a bad spot. I would shame and blame myself while quietly harboring resentment towards my prince Soon he would follow my silent lead and start telling me that I was not good enough. 
Since I had given him a position of authority in my life above God, I had essentially made him my God and all my self-worth was tied to him. Here, dear, you stand up here and Jesus, you can come down here beside me. I'm going to let my husband sit on the throne of my heart. No human being has the grace, love, and wisdom to handle that kind of appointment, to have been appointed somebody's God. I mean, it's easy when we're young to say something that's stupid or unkind, but when my husband would say something unkind, my God had just told me that I wasn't good enough. My God had just let me down. My God had just said, you're a failure, Tina. Words that should have been an irritant were absolutely devastating. I experienced a great deal of emotional abuse in my marriage largely because I valued his words so highly even when I knew they were wrong. Every word that was at all unkind was experienced as a devastating wound. If he had a criticism for me, it was received as a factual character flaw. I'm not good enough. My God's not pleased with me. I'm a failure. It was a very long 17 years. From the beginning, the people closest to me could see how strong my loyalty was for him, and they could see the unhealthy things that he was bringing into the relationship. They would have gladly warned me, except they knew that if they spoke a word against him, against my God, that I would distance myself from them and not from him. Even so, they didn't recognize the problems that I brought to the relationship. So they kept silent and stayed nearby. Sooner or later, it would fall apart, and they loved me enough to want to be within arm's reach when I was finally ready for their help to stop living in this emotionally toxic environment. The last two years of my marriage, I experienced deep clinical depression. I was unable to work. I was unable to figure out how to get dressed and have a shower in the morning. My rock bottom came one day when I had just gotten up. The kids were at school and my husband was at work. And I went to the kitchen and noticed dishes and crumbs and I thought, I need to tidy up. Out of habit, I noticed the time of day before starting. A while later, I had the same thought that I needed to tidy up. And once again, out of habit, I noticed the time before starting. I was shocked to see that four hours had passed, of which I had no recollection whatsoever. To the best of my knowledge, I just stood there and didn't move. Not only did I not move and not make any progress on loading the dishwasher or wiping up crumbs, but I didn't even have a thought. I had no awareness at all of the passage of time. My brain was broken. Really, the problems all started with me not understanding Prince Charming. I mean, the real Prince Charming. I didn't know who the real Prince Charming was. But in Revelation, the last book of the Bible, chapter 19, verse 11, it says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. And verse 16 says, on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, 
the King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus comes riding in on a white horse. He's the true Prince Charming, except that he's a king. He's the king of all kings. I had thought Prince Charming was supposed to be a man, though in the fairy tales that I grew up with, he was actually just an animated drawing, a fictional character. If only I had understood that the true lover and lifter of my soul, King Jesus, who died and rose to life again, to give me life and life to the full, if only I had understood that he wanted to be my Prince Charming. His name is the name above every other name and I could run to that name and be safe. I could go to King Jesus and he would complete me so that I could be a whole person for all the purposes that he had for my life. So that when I did find the man that God wanted for me, then I would show up as a complete person in the relationship instead of someone with a gaping hole and precariously fragile self-esteem like a house of cards. Then my husband and I could have each married King Jesus and devoted our lives to him and worked together to fulfill his purpose in and through our lives. This is the greatest gift. It's not a fairy tale. Because I still had a man on the throne of my heart on whom I was completely codependent and who I was causing God to play second fiddle to, the Lord graciously allowed my marriage to fall apart. Anything less wouldn't have got my attention and my real Prince Charming knew that. He was pursuing me even in the midst of my dysfunction and rebellion. Two years into the depression, my marriage ended. There wasn't even the tiniest struggle from either of us to keep it alive. It had been dead so long at this point that if it had been a carcass, there wouldn't have been a trace of meat left on the bones. You recall the mask that I said he was wearing when he showed up in the green Peterbilt? In our marriage, he never took off the mask, not even to let himself know who he was. And my heart's cry for all 17 years of our marriage was for emotional intimacy, to know who he was and to share with him who I was, to be vulnerable and real with each other. Unfortunately, this was the part of my marriage that really was a fairy tale. My recovery journey began when a friend who was going to be running a step study invited me to join in. That step study was such a blessing. It quickly became a safe place and I discovered that I could finally take off my mask and be real. If you still got your mask on, you're probably thinking that it sounds scary to take your mask off and be vulnerable and real. Because if people don't like your mask, it doesn't hurt as much. Since they're not rejecting you, they're just rejecting your mask. Here's the thing though, when people do love and embrace you, it's actually not you they're loving. It's just your mask. And let me tell you, it gets lonely in there. 
If you don't take off the mask, then no one can love the real you, and you stay totally alone. That was a big part of what caused my depression. We wear those masks to avoid painful feelings, but here's the thing about feelings. Most often, your feelings are not imparting wisdom or great truth. They're just feelings. They just need to be felt and acknowledged. That hurt. I feel sad. I'm lonely. When I try to run and hide from those feelings, they chase me down like a wild thing. Woohoo! Here she is! But I've learned that if I will sit and get still and embrace, even make out with those uncomfortable feelings, in as little as a minute or two, they begin to dissipate in intensity. They're not good or bad. They just are. Feel them and they'll eventually leave. My relationship with God has grown through my recovery. In steps one and two, we acknowledge that our life is a mess and that we need God's help with it. That humility, that submitting myself to Jesus has allowed him to work in me. You see, he's a gentleman and he will not come in where he's not invited. As I learn to take off my mask and share my real self, and in turn received love and support and acceptance from fallible humans, it became so much easier for me to run into Daddy God's arms and jump up on his lap and spend time with him. Over the last four years, he's taken me from just surviving to truly thriving. I walk in joy and peace now with no depression at all. Working the program has helped me to realize that I'm not the only one struggling in the areas that I do and has helped me to gain a better, of a, a better understanding of what codependency is. It helped me to build deep heart connections with women that I could count on and find accountability and sponsorship to help me stay on track. By far, the most pivotal piece for me was principle four, openly examine and confess my faults to God, sorry, to myself, to God, and to someone I trust, which comes right after step four, where we made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. This was the absolute game changer for me. I had written out my inventory, which is essentially a list of all the biggest things in my life that are still impacting me, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And then it came time to share it with my accountability partner. We sat alone in a room together at her house, and I mustered up my courage to read the first thing on the page to her. And as my words drifted across the room to her, they were met not with judgment or criticism or condemnation, but rather she doused them in empathy and compassion. And they lost so much of their substance in my life. It was like it went from being a 50 pound weight to being a feather or a vapor. I had expected tears on my part and instead I felt relieved and safe and loved. It was amazing. The next item on my list seemed even scarier to share, and it was met with more love, compassion, and empathy. 
For an hour and a half, I shared all the most embarrassing, shameful, humiliating details of my life. And it was as if the weight of the world that I had been carrying for so many years dissolved into nothing. I mean, I could still remember those things, and some of them still needed amends to be made and that sort of thing, but I was no longer carrying the oppressive load that I had for the previous 48 years of my life. You don't have to tackle your entire inventory all at once if it's too much for you. But when you get to that step, I strongly encourage you to go as deep as you safely can because the results are so liberating, you just you can't even imagine it. So where am I at in my recovery now? I'm so much more emotionally healthy than I was. I've been learning to set boundaries and to enforce them. I've broken free of what I call doormatting myself and beating myself up. I'm learning to treat myself with respect and this has had surprising results in my relationships. When I was continually letting certain people in my life treat me badly, I felt horrible. Then I started setting boundaries and requiring respect in order to interact in a relationship with them. Well, when I started treating myself with respect by setting and enforcing healthy boundaries, it wasn't very long before they began treating me with respect. It's phenomenal. I started my testimony by telling you that I'm working towards freedom from codependency, fear, self-esteem, and emotional abuse issues. It turns out that working through codependency has helped me with the other issues. Building my relationship with the Lord and getting my identity from what He says about me, it's fabulous for my self-esteem. And when I'm trying to please Him, love Him, honor Him, there's not as much room for people-pleasing sort of behaviors. I no longer feel like I have to put up with emotional abuse of any kind. And fear, well, I've learned that fear is just a feeling. It's not a truth and it's not necessarily imparting any wisdom. So when I feel fear, I just go, fear, yeah, I know you're here. I figured you'd show up for this, but I've got stuff to do and I'm not going to be entertaining you. You're gonna to have to get your own cup of coffee and go sit in the corner and shut up because I have work to do. And if fear gets all up in my face, then I make out with it. And when it's had some attention from me, it backs off. My walk with God has really grown. I talk to him often and he's been teaching me so much. I start my mornings in prayer and then my favorite thing to do is to sit down with my legs crossed on the floor and listen to my Bible app, read the word to me out loud. I sit there quietly meditating on the word and it just feels like a really intimate time with the Lord. I've been working on my recovery for about four years and now the Lord has called me into being a joy coach. This is my dream job. Currently, I work in electronics for the government, but I've been building my coaching business and program where I empower women who have been through hard things to get to know, love, and feel good about themselves and get living their best lives. 
The Lord has brought me into this through working my recovery through CR. I was discouraged and stuck for many years, and now the Lord's using me to help other women walk in freedom and joy too. And I am so grateful that God's using me to help others. For the newcomer, let me give you this piece of advice that I received from a mentor. If you keep doing the right things in the right way and in the right order, you will get the results. By working the steps thoroughly, doing the whole task for each step, you will be doing the right things in the right way in the right order. The second piece of advice is don't become discouraged. We tend to vastly overestimate what we can accomplish in the short term and even more vastly underestimate what we can accomplish in the long term. Just stick to one day at a time, one moment at a time when necessary. And if you think you're getting nowhere in spite of working your recovery, check in with your accountability or close friend because sometimes we don't see how far we've come. We've been living with the incremental changes all day, every day, but someone on the outside looking in who knows you may be able to say, hey, but remember, you don't do this anymore. You don't react to that anymore. It's been this long since you stumbled in that way. That's a personal best for you. Don't get discouraged. One day at a time, one moment at a time. And for the old timers, remember, there is no shame in a blue chip. I took one tonight, not for show and tell, but because I needed it. Even if it's for the same thing that your last two, three, five, or more blue chips were for, when we see you walk up for another blue chip, we're excited for you because you haven't given up on you. You are continuing to show up for you. Failure is not the end. Failure is a learning point. Get your blue chip and keep going. The God we serve is a big God. And he has made you for more. And he will not give up on you. There is no shame in another blue chip. God has made me an encourager of friends, acquaintances, and even complete strangers. It's just so fun. And I love that he's trusting me with people's hearts. And he's redeeming my hurts by using them to help others to heal. My life has become a very good adventure. Thank you.